0: getting and staying pregnant.
1: We have been raised in a culture of disembodiment. We need restful, peaceful, healthful sleep. Patty, welcome. It's so nice to see you today. Patty and I go way back for decades. We met so many years ago in the Washington metropolitan area when she was Working and, and doing all kinds of interesting things that we'll hear about. And I was a young optometrist already on the uh, periphery of mainstream way back then. So, Patty is the author of three books. Her most recent book is Outsmarting Autism. And the subtitle, which is incredibly important, is Build Healthy Foundations for Communication, Socialization, and Behavior at All Ages. So, my dear friend Patty, how are you doing today? I'm great, Alyssa. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's a sunny day here in southwestern Pennsylvania. An unusual gift. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm just really curious, how did you how did you get into working in the area of autism? Like what what drew you to that field? Well. It was a long road to autism,
0: and it started with mental health. Um, When I was growing up, my grandmother had issues, and she was depressed, and she was treated horribly. She was abused with the treatments of the time, and she was hospitalized and lobotomized, and electroshocked, and my beloved grandmother who taught me how to knit and was everything to me disappeared at times and came back different and i was horrified and i swore that i would work with people like her when i grew up and i got a degree in counseling in non-school settings and started working in the field. And people with disabilities were not that common then, nor were there laws mandating what we did with them. And so I got involved with genetic syndromes in the 60s, Down syndrome and cerebral palsy. And then later on with kids who'd had injuries and accidents, kids who had fallen out of trees. And I worked with a neurologist. And then in the 70s, when the law came into being, I was there at the time in DC. So I helped write that law for the schools. And we started with learning disabilities. And then we went to attention deficit disorder in the 80s. But it wasn't until the late 80s, early 90s that autism really raised its ugly head and appeared. And so we didn't even had never seen kids with autism. But I was already 30 something years into my practice, which had started in the late 60s. And so I ended up working with autism because I had seen one kid who we didn't know what had happened to him. And he had a diagnosis of pervasive developmental disorder. And I was working with a nutritionist and a and an optometrist and an occupational therapist. And in about mid-93, a mother told us about her child. And she said, I'm a lawyer. And if there's lots of kids like this, we need to start a, a nonprofit. That's my my field. And so we founded a group called Developmental Delay Registry and we
1: called it DDR. I remember that because I was part of that. I was a member of that organization in the 1990s. You were one of the first. And and
0: DDR did a survey of parents to figure out what was going on with their kids. And these were kids who appeared to be developing normally who all of a sudden regressed and we couldn't figure out what had happened to them. And so the survey gave us some clues that they were kids who had had some red flags in their development early on. They'd had some respiratory issues. Some of them had asthma. Most of them had had gastrointestinal issues. They were constipated or had diarrhea. Most of them had sleep problems and many of them had had a reaction to some of the shots that they'd had. Many of them had had ear infections and were put on rounds of the antibiotics. And so we tried to figure out what was going on with them and why. And so we eventually changed the name from developmental delay registry developmental delay resources, maintaining the DDR acronym, because nobody knew what they were registering for. But we published a remarkable newsletter four times a year, and one of the topics which was germane to what was going on was total load theory, and this was a, a term that we borrowed from engineering engineering. And total load theory describes what happens when a bridge collapses and when an 18 wheeler goes over that bridge and it collapses, and why that bridge collapsed. It wasn't the fault of the truck driver who overloaded his truck, that was just the straw that broke the camel's back. But we realized that whatever put our kids into regression whether it was a round of antibiotics or a shot when he was on antibiotics or an ear infection or when the family sprayed the house for termites, something was the straw that broke the camel's back in that child's ability to function. And so we started talking to parents about that and what they could do to help get their kids back.
1: So this is tremendous. Were you able during that time frame, and I guess in in the mainstream medical world, they would call it anecdotal evidence, but based on the case-by-case analysis, just as Piaget did in his work when he was working with his own children to write all of his beautiful treatises, were you able to kind of laser focus in on some certain patterns and tease out what more specifically was triggering certain children? And maybe talk to that question. We
0: were. And it was layered. As I said, each child had a threshold. And as the child neared the threshold of health and then went over it, we could look at what were some of the load factors in individual children. I
1: love how you're taking a drink of water, because um, (laughs) I'm teaching a class now on on improving eyesight naturally. And believe it or not, part of that is to take time to hydrate. And so that's my little digression. (laughs) Please continue. So
0: hydration is just one of lifestyle factors. And we realized that our kids had a lot of lifestyle issues that were problematic. And one of them was that they weren't sleeping. And we recognize the tremendous value of sleep. And that sleep is when the brain and body take out the garbage. And that we need restful, peaceful, healthful sleep. And so these were kids who had a lot of electronics in their lives. Some of them had computers and phones and televisions in their bedroom. And so we we tried to clear some of that out. But the biggest problem was their diet. And we knew in 93 that these kids were not all on, Facebook with each other, and that there was no Facebook, there was no internet, and that these kids weren't in collusion, yet they all had the same diet. They were all eating macaroni and cheese, and cereal and milk, and bagels and cream cheese, and pizza. And how did that happen? That happened because those products were all made up of gluten and casein containing ingredients, gluten, the protein and, and grains and casein, the protein and dairy products. And a mother named Karen Sarusi discovered that there was quite a lot of research way back then that had gotten lost on what happens when gluten and casein combine biochemically. And they form an opiate-like substance. And so here we are, 35 years later, looking at an opiate epidemic. And these kids were the first opiate epidemic. And they were making their own opiates by living on gluten and casein.
1: And we're circling back around. We're spiraling back around to educating people now about this because it stayed under the radar, except for those of us who were working in the field, it seems to me, would, would you agree with right. that? Yeah. So here we have from the 1990s, we have been priming our children to love opiates in the form of foods. Now here we are in the year 2021 with an opiate crisis and a lot of other crises related to human development, really, and the germ cell, the germ cells of the, of our eggs and our sperm, right? And so here we are in 2021. What are some of the other issues that bubbled up back in those days? And then I want to bring us forward into what the solutions are now, because we know from these decades of experience and studies now that have come out, that there are solutions. And we also understand, at least you and I do, patty and some of our friends and colleagues, that these solutions are not yet being spoken about widely yet. And that's the operative word that I love to use. Not being spoken about yet in the mainstream. So. It starts
0: prenatally. And so when we started taking histories of these kids, we found that parents had immune system issues themselves. And that many of these mothers had had problems getting pregnant and staying pregnant. And so that a bigger number of these pregnancies had required fertility assistance. And not being able to get pregnant and staying pregnant is nature's way of saying, honey, this womb is not a healthy place to grow a a living thing, a newborn baby. And so the grief that these mothers had had were compounding their ability to get pregnant. So they They had allergies themselves. Some of them were sicker than just having airborne and food allergies. Some of them had lupus. Some of them had chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, which are not life-threatening, but are too much of a load factor to get pregnant, to stay pregnant. A majority of the mothers also had thyroid issues. They had low thyroid. And so the, we learned that the thyroid was important to check before a mother got pregnant to make sure that the, the hormones, and that's a very complicated endocrine system, worked properly during those nine months to give the baby what it needed.
1: Well, I'll, just, I'll add a side note in there that I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's thyroiditis when I was 26, and I'm now 60. Yeah. And I have yet to take any conventional pharmaceuticals. And that is one of the very large reasons that I have taken the path in health and wellness. And this is the Journey Through Health and Wellness podcast. So what is it that I have done? I can share that today or another day when when maybe you interview me for this podcast, Patty. Hint, hint. We're looking for some interviewers. But my point is that there are ways of working with ourselves and becoming hyper aware and not being ashamed of taking care of oneself in your own unique way, the way that you need to take care of yourself. Because like you have mentioned, there's all these different issues with autoimmunity, from lupus to fibromyalgia to you know thyroiditis to you know it could be high it could be low remember years ago high low medium wavy walkie talkie salt and pepper you know we used to play jump rope right double dutch we used to run around on the playground we used to have jungle gyms on asphalt um, that was before in our, do- our our younger daughter when she was in fourth grade they literally said, no more cartwheels on the playground because one of her friends was doing an aerial, meaning without, you know, she was doing a flip, uh, landing on her feet, and they were afraid she would fall on her head. And I remember how thankful I was that our daughter had already learned how to do a cartwheel. So, you know, what does exercise have to do with the picture? What does... What does fresh air and fresh water, not just what we are consuming as food, but what about our environment? Can you speak to that for a minute? So these total load factors started prenatally
0: and then moved into the baby's environment. And we talked about sleep and food, but we also recognize the role of chemicals in the baby's environment. And so not only were the foods not nutritious, but many of them were processed and treated with glyphosate, which you know a lot about, which is the herbicide that's in Roundup. And that's what much of the wheat was treated with. So that was a load factor about which we were not so aware way back then, but Stephanie Seneff has made us quite aware of, of lately. So we started taking chemicals, recommending that families take some of these chemicals out of their lives, whether it was the, on their, their children's clothes, the flame retardants, or whether it was in the food and the artificial colors, flavors, and preservatives. And so we got them hooked up with the Fine Gold Association, which has been around for years and years and years, which helps families primarily of children with developmental delays of all kinds, not just autism, but hyperactivity. And we found that there were amazing numbers of nutritionists and healthcare professionals who helped them with their diets and with their their movement diet, which is what you talked about. Movement is food for the nervous system. So our occupational therapists recognized that these kids needed to move and that their reflexes were not developing appropriately. And the role of reflexes in in developmental delays also emerged and optometrists like you, Alyssa know about reflexes because they affect not only motor but vision And we knew that these kids needed help in working with their reflexes to get them to emerge properly and then integrate. And that many of these kids had motor and sensory issues that prevented them from moving appropriately.
1: Yeah, I just wanted to stop you, pause you here for a moment and speak to that from a personal perspective because I learned much later in life, when my dear mother who has passed was, was still alive, but much later in my life, that I walked on my toes when I was a child. And that's why she put me into ballet classes. Oh, well, wow. I ultimately danced on point. And I was, would have certainly been diagnosed uh, with ADD or ADHD, attention deficit or attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. I was a busy child. I'm still a busy adult at age 60. But at that point, I was a late in life child for my mother. And she and my father didn't have any trouble with me because it was the two of them and the one of me. I had much older half siblings. But I recognized myself now as a canary in the coal mine. I also recognize that this interview is incredibly important because of the breadth of your history and my history as well and our discovery through the decades and the perspective that it offers for those young women, mothers, young men, fathers to be who really don't understand the historical perspective which you are offering deep insights to. So I just want to Take a, a moment of gratitude for your stick even in the face of uh, potential criticism and doubting and in the face of, you don't know what you're talking about, sister. This is all fine and I need my convenience to where we are now, which is, yes, there's something called convenience, but at what cost? At what cost are we creating dissonance in our inner ecosystem? I like to call our inner ocean, our inner rivers, streams, and vessels. At what cost to the future of humanity? And what is going on? And so now let's turn, if it's okay with you, to solutions. Because we don't want to leave our listeners and our viewers, whoever might be seeing us, you know with our body suits on here we don't want to leave ourselves in despair or in negativity we want to move into the glow the opalescent glow of this humanity which we are recreating reimagining reinventing right here and right now in these moments from the history, story, and bastery, where however you identify, perhaps for hormonal reasons, once you've listened to this talk, you might understand that more deeply. And how can we shape shift and shift our future awareness and consciousness into the understanding that we have the solutions right here, right now. It might take some time to absorb the cognitive dissonance that may have been created by some of what Patty has just shared. Because I know if you've never heard this stuff before, it's really can seem like you're being bombarded with a gloomy, doomy negativity. But I'm here to tell you now that we're going to launch for the next 15 or 20 minutes into solutions and joy and gratitude and love. And how do we stay in that energy? Take it away, Patty.
0: Well, the bottom line is that healthy parents have healthy kids, and my dream is to be able to be at the wedding or even the baby shower or before the baby shower, the wedding shower of young couples who are considering becoming parents, because we know if we can get the egg and the sperm and the womb healthy, we can have healthy babies who have many, many fewer red flags. And so that's we have to get the thyroid corrected in the mother. We have to help the father get his sperm healthy. And this is all about lifestyle issues for the kids. And you know it's very hard to preach to 20 year olds and the 30 year olds who are very smart and very well educated. It's not going to happen to them you know, Patty, I'm, I'm, I'm healthy. I run miles and miles and, you know, maybe, maybe they have to experience it, but it's really basic common sense is to clean up your life and clean up your food and clean up your water and clean up your relationships. I mean, we talk about toxins in our environment. Some of those toxins are people and, You know, I found that I had some toxic people in my life that were giving me stomach aches, and I I needed to clean them up to to heal my gut. And so, um, it's it's very, very important, and it's not costly, but it is it can be, as you pointed out, inconvenient. So, that's it's lifestyle and. Let me just show a picture of my book here. It's a, it's a really beautiful cover, which I'm proud of. This is Outsmarting Autism. And you say, well, I don't have autism in my life. But um, a friend took the red autism on the cover and she put a black duct tape over it. And she said, Patty, this book shouldn't be called Outsmarting Autism. It should be called Outsmarting Everything. Because (laughs) because really, it is a, a book about health. And it's a book about from throughout the lifespan of if you have a child who has any kind of developmental delay or a person in your life, and that's why the last part of the subtitle is at, at all ages. It's not ever too late. We can take a young adult with a disability, with autism, and make changes that we know can help that child, your child, they will always be your child, even if they're an adult, function better, come closer to what his potential is. And it's just remarkable what's being done now. Talk about optimistic. There's some young adults now in their 20s, mostly, mostly male, who are nonverbal. They're non-speaking. And we have just discovered that not only are they cognitively intact, but that they have highly educated and learned a million different things from languages to higher level mathematics, to geography, history, and by just taking stuff in. And even though they can't, haven't up to this point been able to communicate, they are now using something called spelling to communicate using a very simple alphabet board. And that their problem is not cognitive, and it's not language. It's motor. And this is kind of back to the reflexes that we talked about. To be able to get this oral motor mechanism to work, these kids have not been able to do that, which is why they don't talk. And even the act of pointing is very hard for them to isolate the finger. So it's fine motor development, which comes after gross motor development, which has been lacking for them, which has prevented them from actually communicating. So,
1: yeah, I would would, sign language. They can't because they don't have the 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 motor. Right. I would be curious because I am a, a somatic movement therapist and yes, I work with reflexes that underlie vision development, but I'm also extremely interested in the area of embodiment. And I would say here that the awareness, bringing ourselves back to the awareness of ourselves may be a way to kind of crack the code on some level with these people if they have not tried it yet. And we can play with us, even those of us that call ourselves fully functional, we have been raised in a culture of, for lack of a better term, disembodiment, where we have been trained to separate our emotions and our physicality from our visual, spatial, sensory motor awareness. And many of us wind up with glasses in front of our faces for that reason, including people like me um, who have been working for my lifetime to reduce my prescription, finding, for example, myself recently, this is literally weeks ago, working with a colleague, that I have been afraid to touch my eyes. Now, somebody that, uh, because when I was young, my father said, don't touch your eyes, your hands are dirty, you'll get, you know, you'll infect your eyes. People that are disconnected, we might call it fine motor, we might call it gross motor, but we might look beneath that into the embodiment of ourselves. And how do we move from within, from within ourselves? What is that? What does that look like? And I digress, perhaps I'm going off topic. So you can bring us right back. We have talked about diet, but we haven't gotten specific. And part of the reason that Patty might be dancing around that is because we hold different views of what is the healthiest diet. But the bottom line is move in the direction of unprocessed whole foods. And from my perspective, I want to say raw living plant foods What is your perspective on an optimal diet? Maybe starting with you, what is your optimal diet that you have found for yourself to feel and be the healthiest, Patty Lemmer?
0: Well, I go back, I go to Michael Pollan for this. I don't know if you know Michael Pollan. Um, He's a a food writer. Absolutely. he's He's a brilliant man he's written i don't know a half dozen maybe even a dozen books the omnivore's delight and
1: the omnivore's um,
0: dilemma dilemma you're right <laughs> omnivore's <laughs> dilemma but my my favorite book of his is a little book called food rules <laughs> um, and i don't know whether he meant rules to be a noun or a verb
1: i believe both and, so.
0: <laughs> and food rules he has seven words when people say Michael what should I eat and he says eat food period not too much mainly plants and I think you would agree with that Alyssa because what he defines as food is something that is a lot used to be alive or still is alive when you eat it and it is not something that comes in a box or a jar it's something that is alive so that's food goldfish crackers do not qualify as food and not too much we eat until we're almost full but not fully full about 80% full because our our body needs room for digestion and mainly plants. And he would not agree with you on a totally plant-based diet, but mainly plants and plants in season, plants that are local, plants that are grown without pesticides and food rules has in it a, a hundred different rules. And that little book, Food Rules, is only about $10. And it has rules like, if your grandmother didn't eat it, you shouldn't eat it. And if it was made in a plant, don't buy it. Mm -hmm. But if it was grown on a plant, that's good. So it's a very useful guidebook with some humor, and it comes both unillustrated and illustrated, and the new illustrated hardcover version is rather beautiful. It's almost an art book. So that's my guideline on what to eat.
1: Beautiful, beautiful. And how many hours a night do you sleep? I sleep between eight and nine. And so that would be a great recommendation. I would concur for for any adult in today's day right. and age. Right. Uh, removing electronics, turning off your Wi-Fi if you have that choice. And using perhaps tachyon technology or other technologies to neutralize um, the technology of the the electronics. I'm holding up my phone for those of you that are listening. To get the electronics out of the bedroom, you should not have a
0: telephone or a television or a computer in the bedroom. The bedroom has to be a sleep sanctuary, and it has to be dark, and so that you're pineal gland can make melatonin, which is what takes out the garbage when you're sleeping. And the sleep needs to be uninterrupted. It needs to start before midnight. And it needs to be monitored by your inner biorhythms. And it's very important that you, as you say, listen to the
1: body. Well, and preferably we go to sleep at sunset and wake at sunrise. I know that that could be idealistic for some, but it may be possible to go to sleep before midnight and rise with the sun, depending upon the time of year and where you live on the planet, but beautiful considerations. And you know, back to food, making sure that there's, uh, uh, if, you, if you're not growing it yourself on your countertop or in your garden, That it is as local as possible and doesn't have herbicides, pesticides or fungicides and is not a GMO food. And what about, do you have any thoughts on meditation or spiritual practices?
0: I don't have a lot of thoughts on that subject, but we have to calm our brain. Our, Our brain needs to, and we need to go inward and reflect. And how you do that, what's your individual way of doing that. Some people walk, some people meditate, some do yoga, some listen to music. Whatever works for you is a way to balance out activity. It's it's very important to balance it out. Are, are it's there, all about balance.
1: Are there certain sound therapies that really stick out? I know the Tomatis method you know, from years ago, but are there other... Kind of auditory-visual integration things that you recommend for people? Well, my book has a
0: a whole chapter on this and it's very individualized, but the newest research that's very exciting is on the vagus nerve. And the vagus nerve has been found to be really key in a lot of the biological processes. And there is a a new program called Safe and Sound, which stimulates, it's an auditory program that stimulates the vagus nerve and balances out the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous system. Steve Porges, who's a psychologist, is the guy who is behind the research on the vagus nerve. And we are finding that working with it and calming it down and getting the balance is key for, for almost everybody.
1: So, so we have known, I know that you know, the work of Hans Selye on the autonomic nervous system and harmonizing the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system, the work of our Elliot Forrest on stress and vision, emphasizing the critical importance of balancing the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous systems and the whole body uh, visual action system. And that's been what my career has been all about in terms of integrating from the reflex level up through the conscious level, our visual and auditory and kinesthetic and taste-touch felt sense of self. There is also the heart math work that is is prominent these days. Patty, thank you so much. I know that we could go on and on for the next day or weeks or months. And we do, by the way. (laughs) Note, I will be twisting your arm to, to interview me because we have not yet interviewed me on this podcast. Although I do put in pieces during the interviews I want to thank all of the interviewers that have been part of this process called Reimagine. And we are reimagining ourselves and humanity one step at a time. And it's okay to take baby steps. But if you're one of those people that is a deep diver, that's great as well. Patty, do you have anything coming up, any events, or what's newest with you these days?
0: Well, Alyssa, I'm basically retired.
1: <laughs> I, but
0: not tired. I no, but I've retired about a dozen times. And, <laughs> you know, I, I'm doing this interview because um, I love you and I, I want to get the information out. I still have a radio show myself. It's called The Autism Detectives. And I'm on HealthyLife.net on the second and fourth Tuesdays of the month at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern time. And I would be happy to interview you on, on the Autism Detectives. And it has a very rich archives of interesting people I've have interviewed as you are interviewing me. But that's the only thing that I have active. My book is available on Amazon. And it has just been made into an audio book. So those who are not readers can now listen to it. And I'm in the process of working with getting it translated into foreign languages. And it looks like they're gonna chop up Outsmarting Autism, which is about 600 pages into small eBooks and make eBooks of different components. And I think you'll be happy to know that the first one that they're looking to do is called is the chapter on diet and diet do's and don'ts. So stay tuned for that. And it's going to be translated, I think, into six or seven languages that are looking for desperately for information on helping people with disabilities.
1: That is so beautiful. Thank you so much for your decades and decades of experience, sharing, encapsulating so much valuable information. And I hope that everybody goes and buys one of Patty's books. And we will look anxiously for your eBooks. That sounds fantastic. Ah, I'm going to get back to writing my book, <laughs> Enlivening Consciousness, which has gone through several iterations but has not yet been published. And I'm looking forward to teaching people, which I continue to do online now, about improving their vision, eyesight naturally. So thank you so much. Um, Thank
0: you, Alyssa. Thank you for all your hard work. You're
1: really amazing. Have have a wonderful, fantastic day. In your retirement, we should all be retired just like you. Okay. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye.